Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. New Orleans at the turn of the century was a melting pot of ethnicities, cultures, and traditions. Like a good Cajun bouillabaisse, the city combined elements of different customs and backgrounds, sprinkled in a variety of spices provided by the characters who filled the streets and the music halls, and created a delicious experience of music and lifestyle. Out of this unique cultural backdrop came some of the most gifted, influential, and significant artists of the time, who helped shape the jazz landscape and the future of music for generations to come. You've heard of Louis Armstrong. You're familiar with Miles Davis. You know Dizzy Gillespie. But have you ever heard the sweet, soulful notes of Charles Buddy Bolden? Because without him, the others might never have risen to fame. Get ready for a missing chapter episode unlike any other. Get ready to hear the story and the music of one of jazz's most important but lost legends, the first king of New Orleans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Don't forget to follow us on all major podcast distributors. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. This is episode 11, uh, and I'm Phil Schaff. We're here with Phil Hornder, uh, as always, and we have a, a guest speaker today, which we are certainly excited about. And uh, before we get to him... We just want to thank Utic Roasting yet again for providing us with some amazing coffee. We had to go back to the dark chocolate raspberry truffle because it's one of our favorites. So, Phil, I'm pretty excited today, and I know um, we, we've kind of been pressing this issue here that we wanted to expand our our horizons a little bit on our, our podcast, and we're, we're getting into music today, which I, I'm so excited about. I'm a big music fan. I know you are, too, and uh, I think the listeners have something to look forward to today. Yeah, Phil. And, and, you know, we've been fortunate. We've had some great guests in the studio and, and some great um, episodes built around some colleagues of ours. And and today's, like you said, it, it, we're delving into something that we really haven't gotten into with any of our episodes yet. And the individual that we have here today that I'm about to introduce is definitely a musician, but he's also a historian. He loves to teach beyond the notes so to speak. And, and kids have an appreciation, uh, not just of the music, but of the background to it. And that's really what he's going to get into. So please welcome Tim Field hey, thank to, you very to the much. studio today. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me to do this uh, do this podcast. We're excited to have you. Yeah. yeah. yeah we've been looking forward to this one, Timmy. Yeah, well, I hope you like it. I think, I think it'll be a good one. Ready? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So it's uh, 1931. And jazz music has become the most popular style of music for people to listen to in America and Europe. 
This is in part due to recording by jazz bands that began to be produced in 1917, starting with a group called the original Dixieland Jazz, J-A-S-S, band, and the very first jazz recording called Livery Stable Blues. The American public couldn't get enough of this fantastic rhythm, rhythmic music that started in New Orleans and quickly spread to St. Louis, Chicago, and New York. Artists like Kid Ory, Sidney Bechet, Jelly Roll Morton, Duke Ellington, King Oliver, and Louis Armstrong have performed all over the country and made their own recordings, reaching a nationwide audience. By that same year, on November 4th, the first man to ever play jazz was the first king of New Orleans music, passed away. At his funeral, there were no musicians to perform and celebrate his life. There was no story or obituary in the newspaper. There were no pallbearers. They had to ask for volunteers from the funeral home to carry his casket. He was buried in an unmarked grave at Holt Cemetery in New Orleans, Louisiana, all but forgotten by his fans, with only a few family members in attendance. So New Orleans was the largest port city and the most cosmopolitan city in the South when Charles Buddy Bolden was born on September 6th, 1877. There were people from all over Europe, Asia, Africa, the Caribbean, with all different kinds of work, like sailors, businessmen, dock workers, teamsters, laborers, teachers, classically trained musicians, all living next to each other, and in many cases, living on the same street. There's also an eclectic variety of music, from African music, work songs from former slaves, church music, People coming out of the St. John's Baptist Church that the Bolden family attended were described to be swinging as they left the Sunday service. Brass bands in parades, minstrel shows in their overtly racial tones and actors in blackface, vendors singing what they had to sell or buy as, the, as well, as two new types of music called ragtime and blues. Living in the city, you couldn't help but hear all this music, whether it was a parade, a performance in the park, church service, or a concert hall. Buddy Bolden's family lived in a single small, a small single story house located at 385 First Street, just west of Storyville in the middle of where much of this music was performed. I'll talk more about his house in a little bit. So Buddy Bolden does not have any musical training other than what he hears in the community, in church, learns in his school that he attended, attended which was possibly the Fisk School, Fisk School, which is said to have had a very good music program. He didn't have private lessons as his family did not have a lot of money. His father died by the time he was six. So he wasn't a child prodigy by any means. Legend has it, and so much of what we think we know about him is just legend. Really. So legend has it in 1894, when he's 17 years old, he comes across a cornet in the street, picks it up and brings it home. The Boldens had a family friend named Manuel Hall, who's not a professional musician, but he knows how to play the trumpet. So he gives a couple lessons to get him started. Now, both you guys, I think, played trumpet when you were in Absolutely. school. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, under your tutelage. And it, it took a while for you to learn how to play the instrument. Mm -hmm. A couple of years, certainly by the time you were able to play in the jazz band. Um, there's a barbershop on the corner of First Street where Buddy Bolden lives, just a couple blocks down from his house. And I got to tell you that a barbershop in those days was kind of the um, social media of the day. So if you wanted to get the, no, the news, you'd go to the barbershop to hear what's going on. But it also served as a meeting place for musicians. They'd get mm -hmm. together to set up gigs, practice in the back room. And this barbershop was owned by a guy named Charlie Galway. And he just happens to have a string band that frequently played shows around the area. One day he hears Buddy play his cornet and decides to hire him to fill in for some of their gigs. 
So imagine this. Here's young Buddy Bolton. He's only been playing his cornet a few months. Local musician hears him, and now he's playing in a professional band, having started playing at the very late age of 17 with a cornet he found in the middle of the street. Most musicians in New Orleans started learning their instruments by the age of 10, much like many school music programs today. Within the year, Bolden begins to take more of a leadership role in this band. He starts to set up gigs with his own name. He starts to take lead in the performances. He was a very charismatic person. Audiences loved to listen to him play, and the women were very attracted to him. In the next few years, he forms a number of different bands trying to find the best lineup to fit his style of playing. He finally settles on a group that features him on cornet, guitarist Brock Mumford, bassist Jimmy Johnson, clarinetists Willie Warner and Frank Lewis, trombone player Willie Cornish, and Cornelius Tillman, excuse me, on drums. But one of Bolden's greatest gifts was adapting music to his own style of playing. He never wanted to imitate what others did, but would alter the music to make it his own. Many of the bands that played in New Orleans did not read music, but just learned by ear. And Buddy Bolden was a master at this. He could hear a band play a song, and by the end of the evening, he could not only play his part, but knew all the other parts and were able to teach them to the rest of, the, of his own band. So now we're about five years later. We're in uh, 1900, five or six years later, 1900, and he's earned the title of Kid Bolden. And this is kind of a informal. This is just what people call him. And they're playing all over the Storyville area of New Orleans, which is just north of the French Quarter. And the reputation is growing rapidly, and more and more people are showing up to watch them play. Musicians who played with Bolden or heard him play all comment on the power of his cornet. Clarinetist Alphonse Pacou said, he was the loudest there ever was because you could hear Buddy's cornet as loud as what Louis Armstrong played through the microphone. Wow. Jelly Roll Morton said, speaking of swell people, I might mention Buddy Bolden, the most powerful trumpet player I have ever heard of. He was a light brown skinned boy from uptown. He drank all the whiskey he could find. So that kind of tells you what this guy was, was, was all about. He was always surrounded by women and he was always drinking. Uh, at, this, at his shows, the band would play more polite dance music for the older crowd at the start of the night. Music like waltzes, shottishes, quadrilles, which were kind of like line dances and square dances of today. But after midnight, Bolden would do what he would call call his children home. So at the start of the show at Johnson Park, Oddfellows Hall, Union Sons Hall, which would be called, wait for it, the Funky Butt Hall, when the Bolden <laughs> Band played there. And I'll explain that in a, in a moment. He was so loud that people attending other concerts would hear his call, leave the performances where they were, and move to where the Bolden Band, band was playing to the dismay of the other bands. This is when they would play their hot music to a packed house who wanted the band to keep playing until dawn. Now, Storyville in New Orleans is a pretty rough uh, neighborhood. They've, you've got brothels, you've got professional criminals, pickpockets, thieves, all these people uh, around. And this is where his band's playing. But it really appealed to a younger crowd, and they didn't mind the locations. They would start playing slow drags, blues, and ragtime music until the early dawn. So the band's sitting up on stage. Buddy would stomp on the floor, tap his cornet on the stage to give the tempo, and everybody would sit up straight or stand up straight. Oh, Mr. Bolden, play it for us. Play it. But he wasn't just loud. He could also play so soft that you could hear the shuffling of people's feet as they danced. Hmm. He could read the crowd, and he knew what they wanted to hear. The energy of the music would ebb and flow all night. 
And there was, there was such a musicality to his performance that it would just penetrate you. And this, this is a story that I was really interested in because the story goes, there's a shipload of troops being sent off for the Spanish-American War. And Buddy Bolden's band is hired to play this. And he starts playing Home Sweet Home. And he plays it with such power, such emotion, that the response of the crowd was uncontrollable. There was almost a mutiny on the ship. Sailors started jumping over the side of the ship, swimming to shore as the ship's pulling away from the dock. And from that moment on, that song was banned from ever being played at a send-off again. That's oh amazing. Gosh. That's amazing. And, and you know what? As you're talking, Tim, I'm picturing all of this in New Orleans. You're doing a great job of painting the picture for me. So that at a young age, it's, it's not just his ability to play the clarinet, but it's his ability to change and adapt the music that he's hearing in New Orleans. Yeah. It's, it's his charismatic ways and, and ability to connect with the audience. I mean, he just seems like such a modern man when it comes to music. And it, it, that's true. And, and that's why jazz had to be invented in New Orleans. When Marcellus describes it with all these different cultures coming together, all these different kinds of music uh, together, calls it gumbo, right? Mm. But without the roux, which is the sauce in the gumbo, you That's can't good. have gumbo, yeah. right? And that sauce, that sauce is that special uh, communication through, through the instrument. And that's kind of what brings it all together. And it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the type of player who is skill set is is almost flawless mm -hmm. can can play a sheet of music like nobody else yep. but do they reach the person's emotion yeah and that's that's the the sauce that i think you're referring to and i, yep. I as you're as phil said as you're painting this picture i can see him um connecting with people obviously through that element and almost having it almost seems like he has control of the masses yep through an instrument yep which and, is just so profound and too i think the historical context 1900 New Orleans, you said, people of all different backgrounds, um, many poor, you know, maybe not able to communicate um, verbally to one another, mm -hmm. but it really it does a great job of, of showing how music connects people. Yeah. And, and that's what they're connected to yeah. in those halls. It's, it's, it's just a great picture of American yep. history that you're painting. Yep. That's Absolutely. good. So is there something that you that you think in your research that you found about him? That they gave him the ability just to pick up a cornet and just have this God-given gift. It's it's tough, and I'm kind of kind of talk about that a little bit more uh, later because right now it sounds like this is like God's gift to trumpet playing, right? Um, but when you read uh, other musicians from the period talk about him, some are glowing, right? And I, I've got some quotes in here, but some are. Not as as glowing, and like I said, I'm going to mention that in a, in, a, in a little bit to talk about what happens to him as as he regresses. So we're in 1903 now, and now he's being referred to as King Bolden. All right, so you start off being called Kid, now you're the king, and he's the yeah. first person to ever have this title in New Orleans. Thus, the first king of New Orleans. Kids would gather outside of his house in the morning just to hear him practice. His personality and his performance was perhaps his greatest gift to jazz music. His growls and moans through the trumpet like those uttered by a preacher in the Baptist church services that he attended. He accompanied, this accompanied the bending of pitches and adding vibrato like a vocalist add to the uniqueness of his playing. 
trombonist Bill Matthews said, on those old, slow, low down blues, he had a moan in his cornet that went right through you, just like you were in a church or something. Louis Armstrong and King Oliver, none of them had a tone like Bolden. Now, everybody knows King Louis Armstrong is, you know, when you think of early jazz, you go to Louis Armstrong, who was taught by King Oliver, who was inspired by Buddy Bolden. Wow. So the embellishments of the melodies were like an early form of improvisation. His most popular song called Funky Butt, yes, that's what it was called, which had lyrics improvised by the band, and I really can't say them in this in this venue. They're pretty rude and, and crass. <laughs> okay. uh, but there's a jazz pianist named Jelly Roll Morton. Now, Jelly Roll Morton's uh, claim to fame was he was an excellent jazz piano player, but he's the first guy to actually take jazz music and write it down so people can see it. And he actually records a version of the Funky Butt, but now he's calling it Buddy Bolden's Blues because they're recording it and you're not going to advertise a song in the 1930s called Funky Butt. Um, and here's what one of the verses went. I thought I heard Buddy Bolden say, you're nasty, you're dirty, take it away. You're terrible, you're awful, take it away. I thought I heard him say. Now, the, the inspiration for this song came from, and you have to imagine, New Orleans, Summer Night, Everybody's packed into this dance hall. It's going to be hotter than anything in there, right? There's right. no, there's 1903, there's no air conditioning. All right. So showering did not happen all the time mm -hmm. for people in New Orleans at the, at the time. So it must have been pretty rough to be, to, to be, in, to put yeah, to be in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that inspired him to write the song. And I actually have um, Jelly Roll Morton's version if i could play do you guys mind if i play it no, please do we'd love to hear so it. what i'm going to do is i'm going to play the straight version of the of the song and then i'm going to play it again and that second time i'm going to embellish it kind of like what the jazz musicians not anywhere on the level of what buddy bolden would have done but hopefully you'll, you'll get the you'll get the idea all right so this is buddy bolden blues as written by jelly roll morton band might do something like this. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. great. So that's listen, great. everybody at home, you got to understand, um, as, as trumpet players, I, I think we could appreciate the difficulty of what he just performed. Yeah. Hey, not an ideal acoustically, yeah. you know, you know, perfect studio to be doing this in. That was great. Thank um, so thank you, Tim. Uh, secondly, I could tell, and hopefully people at home could, could hear that too. The, the difference in, like you said, he was he was a perfectionist when it came to vibratos, mm -hmm. when it came to um, providing different elements. Yeah. So I'm hoping even if people go back and play to see the differences between the two takes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think it's it's obvious he put his namesake 
Absolutely. On that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so many uncharacteristic sounds that you, he gets out of the trumpet because he wasn't trained. Right. So incredible. So 1905, he's at the top of his game. He is the most popular musician in all of New Orleans, playing all sorts of performances. He would play school dances. He'd play in the park. He'd play parades. And he was able to adapt himself, even though he would play in the roughest neighborhoods of Louisiana. When he played at a school dance, he was professional. They played cleanly there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they would play their jazz, but there wouldn't be any uh, issues. His innovations have inspired other musicians and pleased audiences throughout the Storyville district. Other bands started to pick up on Buddy Bolden's style of playing and create their own innovations. But this is where things start to turn. This puts more pressure on Bolden, so he would sign his band up for even more gigs to try, to try and stay ahead of the competitors. He was always a big drinker, but seemed to drink even more due to the frustrations and limitations as a musician. Now, I talked about this earlier. His, his, his training was just from Manuel Hall, who was not a professional musician. All right. So many of the people who listened to him said he only played in one key. Mm. So I don't know if that's true, mm. um, but you can see he is doing something innovative and new that everybody loved. But everybody also wants to know what's next. Mm. And that might be the element that he was missing. So he starts in 1906. He begins to argue with members of the band. He starts to complain of severe headaches, not being able to play, uh, to pay the band members and missing his own gigs. His last performance was a Labor Day parade in which he just walked off in the middle of the parade route. He started acting paranoid, worried that other musicians' innovations would become more popular than his. He accused his family of attempting to drug him. After several arrests, he was ultimately committed in 1907 to the state mental hospital in Jackson, Louisiana, where he would spend the rest of his life diagnosed with schizophrenia caused by alcohol indulgence. With a few exceptions of playing in the hospital band, King Bolden never played his cornet again. As popular as Bolden was when he was taken away, when he was taken away from the music scene in New Orleans, didn't miss a beat. Other cornetists quickly filled the gap. Artists like a guy named Bunk Johnson and King Oliver started their careers right where Buddy Bolden left off. W. Edwards Deming once wrote, the world is drowning in information, but slow in acquisition of knowledge. Help spread information by following us on Instagram and liking us on Facebook today. Thank you for listening to the Missing Chapter podcast with us, Phil Schaff and Phil Horander. Hey Tim, this this has been phenomenal, and um, I have so many different things that that I'm I'm kind of like shuffling through in my mind. But I think the the first and foremost is after researching and 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 doing the the work with the music. What's what's his legacy? You know, if I were to travel to New Orleans today, will there be references to him? Are people familiar with who he was and and kind of the contributions that he made? Um, sadly, there's really not much. Uh, there. Uh, as I mentioned at the very outset, he was buried in an unmarked grave. Now, fortunately, we know roughly where it was. Um, and there is a marker there now in, in the cemetery above the area where, where he was born or where he was buried, rather. Um, what is his legacy? Well, listen to the early recordings of jazz. 
uh, YouTube, uh, King Oliver, Bunk Johnson, Louis Armstrong. Those are the guys that heard him play and imitated him. And then music started to be called jazz. So that's why we say he's the first person to play jazz. But he, when he was playing, you weren't calling it jazz. So a lot of their fame, it's safe to say, came on his shoulders. Yeah. At least kind of the foundation I, he laid. I think so. Okay. I think so, because he was hugely popular. So that had to have, I mean, what, what does a musician want? Do they want to play to an empty dance hall or do they want to play to a packed house? So if this is what you do to pack the house, I want to do that. So I, I think I think that's what his legacy is. That's a great point. Would you say that there was a specific stylistic aspect of some of those famous musicians that you've said that you can pinpoint like, oh, that's actually the king of New Orleans. I can hear his cornet in that. No, because you ask anybody, um, everybody's improvisation is very personal. Right, right. Right, so that, that thing that I played, I, I might get another trumpet player in here to do the same thing. Mm. It's not going to sound the same way. You, And that's what makes jazz so cool is that you have your own sound. That's why Miles Davis sounds like Miles Davis. Dizzy Gillespie sounds like Dizzy Gillespie. Charlie Parker sounds like Charlie Parker. Right. And a good musician can just hear that and say, oh, yeah, that's Bird. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's Dizzy. Yeah, so it's just cool to see that he put his own fingerprint yeah. on something as broad and personal Absolutely. as music. Yeah. Now, w without him, would we still have jazz? Probably, but what would it be like? I don't. I don't know. It might. It might be a little bit different. It's. It's impossible to tell. Wow. So, um, his career is only like eight or nine years. Five of which was just him experimenting, trying to figure out what do I want to. What do I want to do? Finding the right lineup with his band, and there's no impact of his, there's no denying his impact on the future of jazz. But sadly, there's almost no tangible evidence of his career and his impact on the future of this new style of music. Although he was supposed to have recorded a wax cylinder in 1903, and this, this is an awful story because um, it, nobody's ever found it and probably doesn't exist. But we know the wife of the guy who rec would have recorded him, his name is Oscar Zahn. She wrote that she had he she still had the edison recorder that he used that oscar zahn used to record but she had the storage shed torn down not realizing the importance of the artifacts inside which included many wax cylinders oh my gosh there's no written copies of his music because everything he played was by ear there's only one sample of his signature and that's on a friend's marriage license and there's only one picture from around 1905 that itself is a mystery. The original is lost, and we can't tell which way the photo is supposed to be presented because one way, the trumpets, clarinets, and trombone are backwards. But if you do the mirror image the other way, then the guitar and the bass player are backwards playing lefty, and we know that they weren't left-handed players. So at the time, Buddy Bolden was playing, jazz did not have a good reputation, and nobody was interested in documenting the history or even realize the importance of this new music. The only newspaper reports about him while he lived in New Orleans was about him hitting his mother or his mother-in-law, depending on which paper you read, in the head with a water pitcher before being arrested one time. He never did any kind of interview to talk about his cornet playing or his musical innovations. In fact, there was only one positive... Uh, sorry. In fact, there was not a single positive newspaper story about jazz until the 1930s, in which there was an interview with the trombone player in the Bolden band named Willie Cornish, and he talks about the inspiration behind the song Funky Butt. 
So you asked about, is there anything left in New Orleans of Buddy Bolden? His house is still standing. It's just a, they call it a twin shotgun house. So it's a, it's a long, narrow house. And then there's another one uh, next to it. And the keyboard player from Maroon 5, uh, PJ Morton, is actually trying to save it from demolition. But I'm afraid to say, he's, I think he's facing an uphill battle because uh, you would think that New Orleans, the cradle of jazz, would be all on board with saving this national la landmark. But they didn't save Louis Armstrong's house from being bulldozed. Mm. So I'm really hoping that he has he has more luck. And what he wants to do is great. He wants to turn one of the houses into a Buddy Bolden museum. And then he wants to turn the other one into a recording studio to teach young kids the art of recording music. That's incredible. That'd be great. And for somebody that there's so many, there's so little left to actually pinpoint and point to, yeah. I think that would be a fitting, yeah, a fitting way to carry on his legacy. Absolutely. Um, you know, Tim, you started this, and I know the listeners won't know this, but you started uh, when when you came in to uh, record here today. You you showed us the, the pictures that you just referenced, yeah. and uh, I, I think that's just such a crucial crucial piece. Uh, to this story. So what we're going to do is we're going to take copies of this. We'll, we'll put this on our Facebook and Instagram so the listeners can see this as Absolutely. well. Because I think it's a it's a very, very important piece, especially because there's not much physical evidence yep. uh, of how important this, this guy is. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I, and I think it's important for people to know about about him. I didn't learn about him until the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. This is when I first learned about him. No, so, and I think that's perfect. perfect. That's exactly what we want to try and do through this podcast is, is try to expose some of these people who who need to get the publicity and, and and who still have an impact. I mean, I think that's great. The the drummer from Maroon 5 can obviously appreciate the impact yeah. he had on, on his profession. And and uh, and we'll do our part here. Completely. Well, thank you. So, Thanks a lot for having me in today. This Timmy, was fun. I, Tim, it's I been a pleasure. Yeah, I hope people at home uh, appreciated this as enjoyed it as much as we did because it was a it was a good time. Good. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. I'm Phil Hornder. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Tim Field. And another chapter has been added to the history textbooks. <laughs>